Alrighty, we are on Brachos 36b. We are right where the parentheses end, if you're looking at the original text of the Gemara. Two lines before the lines um, become the middle size lines. Um, so we're at the two lines before the word pilpily. Let's begin. So we're now on a completely new topic, and we're going to go back to discussing um, the blessings that we say before and after eating food. Pilpily. When it comes to peppercorns, and these are the, the dried peppercorns that we have when we, when we um, once they're dried, that we use for spices. And as I go through some of this, there's going to be different ways to explain it. I'm going to try to explain it in the way that's in accordance with how we decide nowadays in halacha, in Jewish law. And um, just I just want you all to be aware of this. Okay, Rav Shesha, so now we're talking about peppercorn, peppercorns. What bracha do you make? What blessing do you make before you eat a peppercorn? Rav Sheshis Omar Shahakal. Rav Shesha says that you make the blessing of Shahakal, which uh, literally is, blessed are you God, king of the universe, who, um, for from whom everything that came into being came it through his word, or came in through God's word. So that's the translation of this blessing. We'll just call it Shehakel from now on. And Shehakel is said for all of the foods, for all of the food categories that don't really have their own specific blessing. And we'll understand this more as we go on. Rav Amma, Rava Amar Rava says Loklum, we actually don't make any blessing before eating dried peppercorns. And this is Rava going according to his reasoning, meaning we see this very similar logic of Rava's in a different place. Because Rava said, Somebody who chews and, of course, you know, digests, swallows dried peppercorns on Yom Kippur. So on Yom Kippur, we are obligated to fast and we are not allowed to eat. Yet we're saying that somebody who is... Who, um, who chews and eats dried peppercorn on Yom Kippur is exempt, um, does not receive the very significant um, punishment that somebody who eats on Yom Kippur would receive. So they are exempt from that punishment. Furthermore, if you chew on ginger on Yom Kippur, raw ginger on Yom Kippur, you're also exempt. So what do we see? We see Rava feels that chewing and eating dried peppercorn is not considered eating, and therefore that's why you're exempt from eating if you do eat it on Yom Kippur. And just as he feels that it's not eating in that case, he also doesn't feel that it's eating and that is why he would not require a bracha, a blessing, before eating dried peppercorn. Now we're going to ask a question on the ruling of Rava about saying no blessing before eating peppercorns. Mesve. So we are challenging Rava from a Baraisa, um, from an earlier, um, from an earlier rabbinic teaching. Hi, Rabbi Meir. Omer, Rabbi Meir used to say, from the fact that the Torah says that you shall treat its fruit like Orla, we spoke about Orla in our last class, um, that we're not allowed to eat from a fruit tree in its first three years of production. So from the fact that it says you shall treat its fruit as forbidden as Orla, obviously what type of tree are we talking about? We're talking about a fruit tree, a fruit, a tree that produces fruit. So if you look at the at the at the part of that verse, 
part of that verse tells us that we're referring to, it actually says those words that we're talking about a fruit, a food-bearing tree. So why the need to mention that it's a food-bearing tree? Wouldn't it be obvious from, the, from that other part of the statement of the other part of the verse that says you shall treat its fruit as orla? Obviously, we're talking about a fruit-bearing tree. Rather, what is the Torah trying to teach us by adding in those seemingly unnecessary words of a fruit tree or a tree that produces fruit? It's coming to teach us that a tree, that there is a tree whose wood and its fruit, so whose bark or its wood and its fruit um, are taste the same. And that the and uh, the azehu and what is that type of tree? What is that type of fruit? Zahapilpalin, it's peppercorns. Lilamdecha, and this the Torah is teaching us shahapilpalin chayavin ba'orla. This is coming to teach you then that um, peppercorns you're actually are are subject to the obligation or to the prohibition of orla. Um, and the idea is, is that it didn't need to say, again, the idea is, is that it didn't need to say the words, a fruit bearing tree. Why is it coming to teach us that? Why does it say those words? The Torah is trying to teach us that a fruit bearing tree, in other words, a tree who has the same flavor as its fruit um, is also going to be subject to the prohibition of Arla. And what type of tree is that? That's a peppercorn tree. And this also then teaches us, what the verse is teaching us, is that Israel's, the land of Israel is not missing anything. In fact, even peppercorns grow in the land of Israel. As the verse says, A land in which you will eat bread without any sort of poverty. Nothing will be missing from it including peppercorns, as the Torah teaches us here. So what do we see, though? We see very clearly that peppercorns are subject to the prohibition of Arla. In order to be subject to the prohibition of Arla, you have to be something that's a food, that's edible. Um, and this would seem to contradict Rava, who says you don't make a blessing before eating a peppercorn because it's not considered a food, it's not considered edible. So how do we, how do we reconcile Rava's statement and the b'risa that we just learned? Low kasha, so we say it's not a question. When we talk about a peppercorn being a food that's edible, that you would need to make a blessing before, like the brisa was talking about, that's talking about when the peppercorn is moist. In other words, it didn't dry out, it's fresh. Whereas Rava, when he says you don't make a blessing before the peppercorn because it's not food, it's not edible, he's talking about when it's already dry. Okay? That's the first point. Amri le Rabbanan le Maremar. So now the Rabbanan said to Maremar. Um, and the, basically they're questioning what Rava said. One of the things Rava said is that if you chew on peppercorns during Yom Kippur, you're going to be exempt. And if you chew on raw ginger, you're going to be exempt, which would basically teach us that raw ginger and peppercorns aren't considered edible. So now we're going to ask. Kas zangvala biyomadikipure pater. Um, now, did Rava really say that somebody that chews on ginger and swallows it on Yom Kippur, they're going to be exempt? The Ha'omar Rava, but didn't Rava himself say, Hai Malta to Asya Hundai? Didn't he say that this type of almost medicine, this mixture 
that comes from, it's a specific type of mixture that comes from the land of the Hindus, Sharia is allowed to be eaten. It's a cooked mixture. And what this mixture is made of is basically ginger. Um, and on this mixture, which includes um, ginger and some honey, um, you actually make the blessing before eating it of Bore Priha Adama, who creates the fruit of the ground, which is said on vegetables that grow from the ground like ginger. Um, but what do we see? Rava seems to tell us that you're allowed to eat um, a paste or a mixture that was cooked from ginger and honey, um, even though it was cooked by a somebody from the land of the Hindus who is a, definitely an idolater. And the rule is, is that you're not allowed to eat the cooking of an idolater unless what they cooked could have been eaten raw and the cooking wasn't necessary to make it edible. So what do we see here? From the fact that he allows, from the fact that Rava allows the cooking, this paste of the Hindu, of the, from, of the people of the land of the Hindus that included cooked ginger, obviously he believes that we need, obviously he believes that you can eat ginger raw, that, that eating ginger, that eating raw ginger is actually an edible food product. So if he feels that it's an actually an edible food product, then how could it be that he would say that on Yom Kippur, you are exempt from his punishment if you chew and swallow raw ginger on Yom Kippur. So that's the question we're asking right now. And then we answer the same way we answered the last question. Lokasha, it's not a question. Hara bitifta habiya veshta. When Rava said that you can eat this mixture of the Hindus because, um, which made us understand that ginger can be eaten raw and it's considered edible and a food product, that's when he was referring to moist ginger or fresh ginger and where he said that if that on Yom Kippur if you eat it you are exempt which would mean that it's not a food product that is when he was there he was referring to dry ginger so two different things okay now we're going to talk about a another um, another food product and talk about what the brachas are before and after okay actually just before for right now okay chavitz kedera we're now talking about a Chavetz Kedera, so we're um, two lines up before the lines get very wide. Chavetz Kedera, um, which is basically Chavetz in a pot. And what is Chavetz? Chavetz is some sort of porridge, and Rashi tells us that it's made out of flour, honey, and oil, and those ingredients are important. So what is the bracha that you say before Chavitz, v'chein daisa, which is, a, and also when it comes to daisa, daisa is another type of porridge. Um, what is the blessing you say before both of these? Rabbi Yehuda Amar, Rabbi Yehuda says, shahakol You make a shahakol on both of these. Meaning, even though, even though both of these products are made from wheat, once they get to the state of being porridge, like a paste or something along those lines, um, at that point, you no longer make the blessing you would make on wheat before eating it. Instead, you make a shahakal, which is the more, which is the generic blessing for everything that doesn't fit into certain categories. 
Rav Kahana, Amar Rav Kahana says, no, that's not true. Borei mine mezonos. The blessing you make is mezonos, um, thanking God who creates species of sustenance. And the reason you will make mezonos is because these things are made from wheat. And cooked wheat, you make mezonos on. So now we're going to elaborate on this discussion. When we're talking about plain porridge, without the added honey, Everyone agrees that that's considered cooked wheat. And on cooked wheat, you make bore mine mezonos. You make mezonos, and that's what you're going to make on porridge as well. When is there a disagreement between Rav Yehuda and Rav Kahana? When we're talking about porridge that is like the chavitz in a pot, which has a large amount of honey, then we have the following argument. Now we're explaining the argument we just saw. Rabbi Yehuda Amar, in that case, when you have a porridge that has a lot of honey, Rabbi Yehuda says, shahako, you have to make a shahako. You make the generic blessing, um, which would apply to a food product that doesn't fall under the specific um, categories. Um, now, why does he say you say is shahako? Why doesn't he say you say mizonos like you do on, on cooked wheat? He holds savar dubsha ikar, because he feels that it's the honey that is the primary part of this food. Um, and, and it is when it comes to the amount that you put in. <clears throat> and, um, and the flour, the, 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 the cooked wheat part of it is really just secondary. And because the honey is the ikar, because the honey is the primary part of this food, you make the blessing that you would say on honey, which is shahako. Rav Kahana, Omar Rav Kahana says, no, bore mine mezonos. You would still make a mezonos, the blessing that you make on cooked wheat. Why would he say that? Savar samida ikar. He holds that the flour in the porridge is considered the primary part of this food. And as the primary part of this food, you make a mezonos. Now, why would it be considered the primary part of this food? Well, it would be because flour has a certain primacy amongst other foods. And as long as it is present in a food, even if it is not, even if it is not volume-wise the main ingredient, Rav Kahana holds that as long as it's there to enhance the food and not just there to act as like something that binds the food, um, then you would it becomes the primary ingredient automatically, and therefore you would make a mizonos on it. You'd make the blessing we reserve for cooked wheat. Okay. Amr Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Rav Kahana Mestabra. Um, it makes more sense to say that the halacha, that the law is like Rav Kahana, that says that you would make a mezonos on, um, on this honey-filled porridge. The Rav Shmuel, to Amit Shivayu, because we know Rav and Shmuel both said, two great sages, Kol that as long as anything, any dish that has from it one of the five species of grain, you make on it a mizonos, the blessing of mizonos. Okay, um, let's go further. We're now going to analyze what we just said from Rav and Shmuel, that anytime there is any one of the five grains cooked into a dish, you make a mezonos on that dish, even if it is not volume-wise or amount-wise the primary ingredient. And now we're going to analyze that further. Gufa. 
So gufa, whenever you see the word gufa in the Gemara, it means we're going back to analyze something we were talking about previously. So we're at the colon, three lines up from the bottom of the Gemara if you're looking at the original text. Gufa. We stated, Rav and Shmuel both said, anything that has anything that has as part of it one of the five grains, the blessing you make before you eat it is Mizonos, the Itmarnami. And it was also stated, meaning Rav and Shmuel said their ruling in a different way as well. Rav and Shmuel both said, anything that is made of the five species of grain. So not that you have anything that has a part of it is from the five species, but this time is of the five species of grain. You make on it Mizonos. So the question is, is it seems that there are two very similar rulings stated, just said in a bit of a different way. And what is each of these rulings coming to teach us that we wouldn't have known without the other one? Utsricha. And that's what we're going to explain now. Utsricha. We need both rulings of Rav and Shmuel. Because if we only taught the first ruling of Rav and Shmuel, this idea that you make a mazonos and anything that is of the five species, meaning anything that has the five species contained in it, then what would you have thought? Hava Amino, you may have thought, Mishum You may have thought that the only reason you would make a mazonos on that dish is because the grain is present. Aval. Meaning, you may have thought, but if it was in part of a mixture, then you wouldn't do it. Meaning, you may have thought that it's only if the grain is the primary ingredient, um, as far as amount is concerned, that then you say Amazonos, but if it's just there as part of a mixture, meaning it's not the primary ingredient, then you would have thought that you do not say Amazonos on that food. Now we're going to go on to the next page, 37a. Kamash Malan, therefore Ravan teaches that that's not the case. Kol as long as you have some sort of grain in your dish, you will say a Mizonos. So that's why you needed the first one, because you may have thought that the grain has to be a primary, the primary ingredient in order for us to say a Mizonos beforehand. Therefore, we teach us otherwise. Therefore, they have to say no, even if it's the not the primary ingredient, we would still say Mizonos beforehand. And if they had only taught us the ruling that of, um, if they would have only have taught us this idea So let's just let's just uh, repeat that. Um, Viyashmiinan. Let's just start again from Viyashmiinan again. Thirty-seven B. Viyashmiinan kol sheyeshbo. And if all that we had taught was that any food that contains something of grain in it, havamino, you may have thought as follows: kol sheyeshbo chameshes haminim in. Anything that has grain in it, you would say mizonos beforehand. Even if it's not the primary. Aval orez vidochein lo. However, on rice and on millet, then you would not say a mizonos on that dish if it only is one of the ingredients. Mishum de taruvis. Because it's only there as part of a mixture. 
However, if it's not there as part of a mixture, but as it's the primary ingredient, rice or millet, then you may have thought that even something made from rice and millet, you would have thought that the blessing you make on it beforehand is Therefore, we also taught the case of something that is made primarily from grain, from one of the five grains, which is not rice or millet. There you say Amazonos in order to teach us that rice and rice and millet, in order to infer to us, the implication is, is therefore that rice and millet, even if it is the primary ingredient of this dish, you still would not say a mizonos beforehand. You would actually say the more generic blessing for those that don't fit into a category of shahakal. So in other words, we need both statements of Rav and Shmuel. One statement is necessary to teach us this idea that even if you have even if your flour, your grain, is just a secondary ingredient, you'd still make a mizonos on that dish. And you also needed to teach us that no matter what type of roll, rice and millet, which is not one of the five grains, five species of grains that are mizonos, that, if, that when it comes to rice and millet, even if they are the primary ingredient of your cooked dish, you still do not make a mizonos. You would actually make a shahako. And that's how, let's just finish that up. Kamash Malan, therefore, Rav and Shmuel taught us their second ruling to teach us that kol shuhu haminim, that it's only those things that is made of the five grains, that's what you make a mazonos of, which comes to exclude rice and millet, which even if you have it in its in, as the primary ingredient, you do not make a mizonos on it. So now the next question is, is now that we brought about, now that we started to talk about rice and millet, um, right now the assumption from basically what we just learned is that rice and millet never have a mizonos blessing. And we're now going to talk about um, if that is really the case, or is it subject to a dispute? And of course, this has a lot of ramifications as to what blessing you make on rice, what blessing do you make on sushi, which blessing do you make on rice cakes, all of those uh, questions we will start to think about as we go further in the Gemara. So that's our next topic is what blessing do we make on rice? We'll stop here for today. Have a great weekend and a Shabbat Shalom.